0: When uh when we were kids, my my parents would take us, uh, my five brothers and sisters. Uh, we would we never really went that far. Uh, usually with like Wisconsin or Iowa. That was those were our vacations. And uh, we there's a there's a lake somewhere up near Green Bay uh, where we would go, load up the station wagon and you know the six kids, my parents, with the dog, and uh, we'd go up to the lake for a week and. Uh, there's a little rustic cabin there that we stayed in, and right on the water, it was quite beautiful, and uh, there's a little a building right near the shoreline, and I asked my dad what it was, and he goes, well, it's a fishing hut, and they, they clean fish in there. So people who fish will go in there and they'll, they'll descale the fish and cut them up and all that kind of stuff, get them ready for, for grilling or cooking, what have you. And, uh, so we, went in and we were in there, and it smelled, and there were a lot of flies. And I said, well, I'm not in for this at all. And uh, he said, well, let's go fishing. And so he took uh, my brothers and I, and we went out on a boat and did some fishing. And he's like, you know, and I would feel a nibble, and I immediately uh, pulled the, you know, the, the rod in, and there was nothing there. You know, Just the, the worm was gone. That was about it. He said, no, that's not how you do it. You, you don't. As soon as you, when you feel something, on the end of the line there and that's just a fish testing it but just wait be patient and and then you, when you you feel as though it's bit then you're gonna pull it over your shoulder and you start to reel it in you wait for it to kind of get its mouth on it and then you go for it just snag it get that fish to bite into that hook and hold it and uh, it, it worked I caught a few fish they were a little tiny sunfish they're about that big And uh, I cleaned them, and, you know, that was the beginning and the end of my fishing career right there, so, uh, but, you know, that's a great image, brothers and sisters, don't you think, Uh, for what the Lord is doing with this gospel tonight? This is not an easy one for us, but he, you know, he kind of throws a a line out there with, oh, let's tell a story. Stories, Jesus always tells a story when he's trying to get us to lower our defenses and, and, uh, open our hearts to what he really wants to say. But then, you know, when he gets into it, he'll like, as soon as we start to take a nibble, boom, he'll he'll yank it and he'll, he'll snag us, he'll put that hook deep and we can't get away. He's got us. That's what he's doing tonight. That's what our Lord is doing. He's got us and he's not gonna let us off the hook, brothers and sisters. Uh, and you say, "Well, what is he doing?" Well, uh, let's look at Amos first. Amos, uh, great prophet, uh, dramatic, in-your-face, no apologies. Uh, he took it to the he took it to the elites uh, and the wealthy of Jerusalem, and he wouldn't let him off the hook either. Amos. Amos was Martin Luther King's favorite prophet to quote in his speeches and in his sermons because he was so in your face and so dramatic. And so what Amos is doing, he's, he's putting a mirror up to the people in Jerusalem and he's saying, you've got your nice, nice things and you know, you're, you're comfortable, are comfortable. got nice food, you're drinking wine from bowls, I love that image. Not just a little tiny wine glass. You've got a big bowl of wine and you're just slurping it down in your face, you know? Because you guys. And he goes, and yet, with all that, you are not made ill by the fall of Joseph. What a great line. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, a little context. Um, at that time of Amos, the, the 12 tribes of Israel had split. You know, they couldn't agree and uh, Rehoboam, the king of, uh, of Judah and Benjamin uh, of Israel was so bad that the 10 Northern tribes split off from him. You know? And so the 10 tribes are in the North and Judah and Benjamin in the South, which is Jerusalem. That's who Amos is talking to, the remnants of what used to be the 12 tribes together. And the, the 10 northern tribes, Israel, or Joseph, Joseph, are, are under siege from the Assyrians. And the Assyrians are destroying their, their country, you know, raising their temples, killing everybody, sending off people into exile. The 10 northern tribes are finished, and they're never going to be seen again. It's that bad. And so while that's going on, Judah, Benjamin, Jerusalem, and the elites of the South, whom Amos is speaking to, are drinking their bowls of wine, enjoying their food and, and their nice things. He says, your family is dying. And yet, and and you are completely oblivious or choose to be their plight. Because all this that you've been blessed with and you are not made ill by the destruction of your own family. Your own brothers and sisters are in peril and all you can think about is yourself. What an indictment. He's not going to let them off the hook. He snagged them and that's it. He means for them to bite into that hook and he will not let them go. Now, now you got Jesus. His gospel perfectly mirrors what Amos preached all those centuries before. Nothing has changed. The elites, Pharisees, Sadducees are in their comfort. And yet, they are not made ill by the fall and the destruction and the poverty and the brokenness of their own family in their midst. And so Jesus tells the story to get them open. And then he hooks them. He's not going to let him off the hook. All this, you do all this, all these blessings you've got. And you are not made ill by that man in the door who's dying. Now the interpretive key for this gospel is simple. We don't know the rich man's name. We know only Lazarus' name. That is a turning of the world upside down. Look at us. We're enamored with celebrity. Anybody in music or politics or fame, we know their names. We idolize the rich and the powerful, the elites. Jesus, no. I don't know them by that. I know people by how they treat each other. Those people who care about That person dying on the doorstep. I know their name. Jesus knows the name of all the Lazaruses in the world the poor, the marginalized, the broken, the ill. He knows the names of people in our community, even who work anonymously and behind the scenes in kitchens serving us food at our nice restaurants where we drink our bowls of wine. He knows them. He knows the names of the people who are harassed and bullied and in classrooms, online. He knows them. He knows their name. He knows all those crosses in our driveway. All those those babies had names. And He knows every single one of them. Reminding us what Mother Teresa said. It is a poverty that a child must die. So that you can live as you wish. So that you can drink your bowls of wine and sit on your nice couches poverty that you are not made ill at the destruction of your own people he knows all their names knows the names of all those people that this last weekend got shot in Chicago because the elites don't lift a finger to change their situation he knows the names of all those people rightly or wrongly crossing our border because they become tokens and pawns in a political game. He knows all their names. He knows the names of all the women who are abused, all the people who suffer uh, persecution or prejudice. He knows your name and mine because poverty takes many forms, doesn't it? And aren't we all poor and broken in some way? And all that's necessary is that we are made ill at the plight and the brokenness and the burden of our brothers and sisters, our own family members, that we are made ill at the collapse of our own Josephs. Amen? my favorite Archbishop ever, uh, Cardinal George, Chicago, God rest his soul, said, "The, the poor need the rich to stay out of poverty. And the rich need the poor to stay out of hell. Yikes. See, this is not an indictment on our possessions. Not at all. This isn't a class warfare that Jesus is involved in ever. He never does that. This is merely the Lord reminding us that with our blessing comes an obligation. Too much is given, much is expected. Or as Spider-Man's uncle, Peter Parker's uncle said to him, with great power comes great responsibility. That we know the names of our brothers and sisters and we love them and we serve them and we try to heal them and we try to help them rise above their dire predicament. To know their names. They are people with dignity as we are and we're all in the same boat, and we're all in it together, and the Lord has hooked us, and he's not gonna let us off the hook. Dorothy Day, the founder of the Catholic Worker Movement in Chicago in the last century, said every Catholic needs every single day to perform one corporal work of mercy. What is that? The gospel that most mirrored, closely mirrors Luke is uh, the, today's gospel, Luke, uh, Luke 16, is Matthew 25. Come to me, all you who are blessed by my Father, and inherit the kingdom that is prepared for you. For I was hungry, and you fed me, naked, and you clothed me, thirsty, and you gave me drink, ill, and you healed me, in prison, and you visited me. And to those who didn't do it, he says, off, with the, off to the left with the goats, with, with those who squandered their blessings on themselves and danced to their own accompaniment and drank from their bowls of wine and never shared a drop with Joseph in the doorstep or Lazarus on the keep. But you, who, blessed as you are, saw in all the broken and the downtrodden and the abused and the marginated and the lost and the afraid and the afflicted and the manipulated and the used you looked at them and you saw a person with a name who is loved by God and you shared your love and mercy and healing and blessings with them to the right you go with Abraham and Lazarus and all the blessed. So, there we have it. The Lord has thrown out the hook and we have bit into it. And he will not let us off the hook. Praise God. Amen.